Great, thank you, Rachel. Um, for those of you watching at home that don't know me, my name's Simon, um, and I'm going to have a look, a bit of a closer look at some of those verses, um, but I'm going to pray for us before we start. Father God, um, thank you so much that you speak to us by your word. And Father, we pray for this evening and in the coming weeks as we look at the book of James, that you would speak to us, Father, that we would be hearers of your word, but not just hearers, doers as well. Amen. I read an article this week uh, about the ridiculously high proportion of people that win huge amounts of money and then file for bankruptcy. I read this article and it detailed all these people that have won these, these sums of money and what happened to them. It, it gave all the details. It, it said what they said and what they went through. And I went down this list. John McGuinness, £10 million, invested it in Livingston Football Club, ended up bankrupt. Peter Kyle won £5.1 million. He said it was going to change his life and the life of his family. And eventually, he filed for bankruptcy too. John Roberts, £3.1 million. All of them, and more and more and more through this list, won millions of pounds and eventually declared bankruptcy. John McGuinness said, the one who won £10 million, said, I had the Ferraris, the designer wardrobe, and the luxury holidays. I had everything I'd ever dreamed of and more. Now I'm worried about how to pay for the shopping. Each of these people that were spoken of in the article on winning the lottery felt like they had a new life. Huge, vast sums of money that transformed their life immediately. But in actual fact, as they carried on living, they kept living in the same way, making purchases that weren't calculated. They didn't know how to navigate life with these vast sums of money. And sooner or later, the new life that they had quickly looked like the life they had before, sometimes in more financial difficulty, because the way that they were living hadn't changed. They didn't know how to navigate this newfound life. The verdict, the article said, lottery winners go bankrupt because they don't know how to live this new life that they have. This evening, you heard, we're starting a new series in the book of James, and you'll see by our series title, Faith That Lives, that the book of James, it wants to help its readers know how to live this new life that they have. James, the author, is the half-brother of Jesus, and he was the leader of a big church in Jerusalem. He'd have had great responsibility. And you see from chapter one, verse one, he's writing to scattered believers. He's writing to an audience of Christians that have accepted this new life in Jesus. And he knows their struggles, they're under intense pressure. And his purpose is to really challenge the way that they're living. So as we hear God's word tonight and over the next few weeks in the book of James, we trust that it will do the same for us too. In a challenging circumstance that we might consider the way that we're living out our faith too. Now James writes specifically to the readers at the time because he's really concerned. He's concerned that they're not living out this new life that they have because of various trials and, and pressure that are going on at the time. They don't seem to be remaining steadfast 
in this new life that they have in Jesus. He's concerned for a few specific reasons. Have a look with me. Look at verse four. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is concerned that the people that are reading this letter, they're not mature in what they do. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. He's concerned that they're not wise. And look at verse eight. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James is writing because he's deeply concerned that they're unstable. They're double-minded. There's a difference between what they say and do. The picture we get of the people James is writing to is a people who seem to grasp faith, yet there's some kind of disjunct between what they'd say they believe and how it affects the way they live. So James wants his readers to know how to live this new life that they have. And so the, the rest of the book, it addresses some really specific things how to treat poor people, how to treat rich people, how to use your tongue and what to say, how to use money, how to be wise, how to make decisions, how to pray, what to pray for, and loads of those more specific things. And he goes into all that depth and all that detail because it's really important that his readers have a faith that lives. That's a faith that's mature. That's a faith that's lived out more and more like the Lord Jesus. It's a faith that's wise, that's able to make decisions in a pressured context, make decisions in how to navigate this world. And it's a faith that's not double-minded, that doesn't say one thing about what we believe and do another. Now, it might be at this point you're thinking, oh, no, I'm not sure I'm up for this book of James. Plenty of people have said that in the past. I'm sure at some point in the next six weeks, I'm going to get exposed. I'm going to be shown to not be living out my faith in some area. With instructions as specific as this from James, will I be asking, do I even have faith at all? Well, let me say at the outset, yes, it's right that we let God's word expose us, shape us and change our actions. The book of James, it directly addresses how in the midst of external pressure, people who trust in Jesus, who have a new life in him, use their time and money, they use their speech. People who, like us, are are saying that they trust in Jesus, how they choose to use the resources that they have, how it shapes their priorities, how they think about the future, what they ask God for. And so in our current climate, this will be a good challenge for us. But it's vital that at the beginning, we grasp the context in which James is saying this. And so we're going to look at one particular verse this evening in in the wider context of chapter one that really helps us. Now, imagine going into a meeting with a coach, a manager, a parent, a partner, and they systematically go through the way that you operate, the things that maybe you could change. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like that, a meeting like that, telling you all of those ways that you could improve, all of the things that you're not doing as well as you could do. 
the context for a discussion like that is absolutely vital, isn't it? The background to that conversation shapes how you receive it completely. Unless it's coming from a coach, parent, manager, friend that you really, really trust and you really believe wants to see you do well in all that you do, then actually it just feels like you're being systematically deconstructed as a person. It feels like you're being given a load of things to do to prove yourself. It feels like a character assassination. That's a bit like the book of James. If we don't hear it in its context, it will be horrible. But this book is to help you, not to deconstruct you. It's to help you flourish, not to make you insecure. And we've got to recognize that tonight or the next few weeks we'll get it all wrong. And part of that context is verse 18, which we're going to zoom in on this evening. It's the backdrop for which James goes on to some of the details. Here it is. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. When it comes to faith and reading the book of James, here's what we need to remember. Three things from this verse. One, he chose to give us birth. See, the danger is that you could read through the book of James and come up with a hundred different phrases that replace that truth. Whether it be, you must earn your way. You need to do more to please God. Faith is all about proving yourself. They're all wrong. Instead, at the outset here, James says, he chose to give us birth. That means that this life of faith described, outlined, explained in the rest of the book, throughout the whole of James, is not one that we can earn. Look, he chose to give. There is nothing that you can do in and of yourself if you read the book of James inside out to display this living faith that's described. Nothing. If you were to go away and read through the whole book and say, you know what, actually, I don't do any of this. I don't feel any of this. You could try as hard as you like, but in and of yourself, in your own power, you will not develop this faith. Why? Because it's a new life. He chose to give us birth. And actually, that's a massive relief. Because if the book of James was a faith checklist, a book of law, a tick box activity for the next six weeks of what we must achieve, not only would our next six Sundays be so heavy, but actually these instructions would be all consuming. And then they'd inevitably lead to questions like, do I have real faith? Is my faith enough? You see, it's new birth that God has chosen to give us, which means that our new life in Jesus is fundamentally different to our old life without him. So the rest of the book explains some of the ways we need to be reminded that this new life is different. It is lived differently now. But don't fall into the trap of trying to deliver these good works in your own strength. If we try to do that to prove our faith it's just not possible because he chose to give us new birth we're completely dependent on him for this new life so this week when we're 
under pressure. This week, when the trials of our circumstance make it hard to live out this faith, this week, when we reflect on James, as maybe you look further into the book, what we need to return to is that God has given us new birth. He chose to give us birth. How? Well, we carry on in the verse, through the word of truth. That new birth comes about as the truth of God's word is brought to life in someone's heart. If you are a Christian, maybe you'll remember a time where the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to the truth of the good news about Jesus, recorded in God's word, the Bible. Maybe that moment was when one specific Bible verse or truth, it came alive. You were convinced that it was true, that it it needed to affect your life. That's the moment God gives new birth. Or maybe you don't remember a specific moment. But at some point along the way, God chose to give you new birth. And and at points along the way, you've been aware of how you've wanted to listen to God's word. You've become more convinced of the truth of God's word. And it's become more important to you to listen and act on it. And so if you do trust Jesus... That new birth is a process that has happened. The Holy Spirit has convinced you of that truth that Jesus is Lord. He died in your place. He's risen, beating death, and offers you life for eternity with him. Faith is building your life upon this truth. And if you trust in Jesus, that birth is a transformation. That's happened. Our purpose statement as a church is this. A people who have been and are being transformed by the good news of Jesus, who seek to live for Jesus and make Jesus known to others in and around Vista. And it's that because the good news of Jesus transforms. That's what we see in the verse. First, by new birth, as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth about Jesus, and then by causing us to live out faith by helping us to see what this new life looks like in action. It continues to transform. Maybe you'll remember the words of a song that we sometimes sing before looking at God's word at Town Church. Cause your words to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. That's a prayer that God's word would continue to transform us. Now, the book of James It's like the parent, the coach, the teacher, the boss that is helping to illuminate the areas of life that maybe you don't see. So we expect that if we have this new birth, the spirit would continue to cause God's word to come alive in us. Through the book of James, we expect that God's word would speak to us. I wonder, is that how you come to God's word with a joy and excitement? Even there, as we've spoken of the book of James, do you come then as with an excitement to see how God might reveal the things that need to be changed? Are you eager to listen to God as you look at his word? See, the book of James, it shouldn't make you feel ultimately guilty. The book of James shouldn't make you feel ultimately ashamed. The book of James shouldn't make you feel ultimately unsure. 
hear me right, there will be times along the way where the Holy Spirit convicting us will be uncomfortable. There will be direct and specific challenges to the way that we're living. There will be things in our lives that need to change as we look at the book of James. But that's exactly the point. When we have a live faith, God's word will be at work in us. The book of James will encourage us to joyously look for those things where God is revealing to us the, the ways in which we might change. And it might be this evening that you're joining us and you don't believe in Jesus at the moment. It's brilliant that you can be with us, maybe watching along on YouTube. Maybe along the way, you'll be challenged to consider what accepting this new life in Jesus looks like. It might be that for the very first time, something niggles inside of you to consider the truth of God's word and listen to it. Because James says, that's the way that God gives new birth. So please do keep exploring, keep journeying with us and looking at God's word and seeing what it has to say to you. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Thirdly, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The first fruits are the first agricultural product of a new season. I used to live by a big strawberry farm. It was a pick your own. Children love pick your, no, everybody loves pick your own. There's that slight unsurety of whether or not it's pick and eat your own or pick your own then pay for them then eat them but everyone loves pick your own this particular pick your own was on a bit of a rat run on the way to the hospital which was probably why i drove past it quite a lot and this um particular pick your own had a, a very specific method of letting everyone know when the fruit was ripe strawberry farm looking out for when the strawberries were ripe and they had these little chalkboards that would go out in front of the strawberry farm. Strawberries, right. So each summer, they'd wait for the first fruits, the strawberries that were early in the season to flourish. And at that point, they'd put out the chalkboards. And one thing that you could absolutely guarantee, the following Saturday, the strawberry farm would be absolutely round. Why? Because the first fruits are a guarantee of what's to come. When the first fruits come through, you know that the, the, the fruit, the crop in full will flourish. See, what James is saying is that the Christian is the first fruits. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit that we've seen, the fruit that is produced in the Christian is pointing towards their eternity with God in heaven. In fact, it's a guarantee that the Holy Spirit is at work. And it will go on shaping that person to be more like Jesus. And that's exactly the language of first fruits. They will happen. And they prove what is coming. Romans 8 verse 23 says this. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee within the believer that they now are awaiting that day when they will go to be with God in heaven forever. And the Holy Spirit at work in them is 
the guarantee it will happen. So through the book of James, you'll hear phrases like prove the genuineness of their faith. And it's not that we have to work hard if we trust in Jesus to prove our faith, but our faith just will prove genuine. It just will. Because if he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, what did it say? We will be a kind of first fruits. We just will. It's what God does in our life. And here's a picture of what it looks like in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after that, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We had taken our mirror down in our bathroom. Um, We had been painting the bathroom. I actually put it back up yesterday. But I became quite aware of just how useful a bathroom mirror was. Not just as you brush your teeth, but every time you go into the bathroom to just check what's going on, whether your hair has grown ridiculously out of control. And there's something programmed within us that when we look at our reflection, when you see something, you just can't help but let it change your action, is there? See, if you look and you see a great big spot on the end of your nose that's bursting to pop, you don't just walk away and do nothing about it. Built within us, is the need to do something about it. Built within us, we can't help but notice it, feel the pain. It niggles at us, it nags at us. We just have to do something about it. Because when you recognize an issue, your desire is to sort it out. You don't just forget about it the moment that you look away. New birth means that when we look into the mirror of his perfect law, that is God's word to us, the Bible, we see and we recognize the things that need to change. God's word is at work in us, that when we walk away from the mirror of his word, we want to be obedient to him. We want to be more like Jesus. So as we look at the book of James, that is what will happen. We will see what God has to say about things. And we will come away wanting to change. And sometimes that will feel really uncomfortable, like a great big spot on the end of the nose. It might be that in the next six weeks you leave some Sunday evenings and God's word won't let you rest. It will be uncomfortable because you want to do what it says. And other times, maybe it will feel quite exciting, like walking away from the mirror on the way to the barber's excited to get a new haircut because you're just thrilled at how God might change you to be more like Jesus. Faith is a demonstration of trust in God at his word. It comes about as the spirit brings new life in repentance and then obedience to him. A faith that's alive that we see in the book of James is a, a true and living faith that comes from new life in Christ. Because God gave us new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. And that's a huge relief. 
Because when we're loving the book of James and how it's helping us to become more like Jesus, then we'll return to the good news about Jesus, that it's God at work transforming us. And when we look at the book of James and we feel exposed, we feel like we're not measuring up. We're maybe even tempted to say, do I have faith at all? Well, we, we return to the good news of, the, of Jesus, that Jesus himself is sufficient. He is perfectly obedient. And that slowly, as we look into his word, he's making us more like him. And so we're called to live by faith with our eyes on what God is like, not on what we can do. I've been reading a book called Steadfast, which is a bit of a study in the book of James. And as we close, let me just read this little bit, which I think is quite helpful. The commands given are not informing unbelievers about how they will earn God's favor or receive salvation if and when they obey these commands. No, James is first and foremost telling believers that they will, as a result of their truth faith, live lives that reflect the salvation that is already theirs in Christ. Obedience does not earn God's love and acceptance. It's the result of the love and acceptance already ours. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it speaks clearly to us. And Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would convince us of the truth in your word, that we would continue to repent and return in obedience to be more like Jesus. Father, we pray that that would be the case as we look in the weeks to come at the book of James. We pray that it might be a, a joy to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to sing together a song uh, by faith, which really helps us lift our eyes off ourselves onto what God has done. A faith that focuses on, on God and what he's like. So let's sing together by faith.